Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, it's good to be together, isn't it? I am just grateful uh, that we can gather together and worship uh, together. I just have a sense of the Lord's Spirit moving even amongst us this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well. And uh, I just encourage us to continue to keep our hearts open to the Lord uh, for these next few moments together. It's great to be back in the book of Acts together. We jumped back in after Advent and Christmas last Sunday, and, uh, and this is now the, the second week of the second part of our series uh, in the book of Acts. We started last week with probably the most well-known conversion story in all of Scripture, and that's the story of the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 9, what a meaningful and powerful moment when Jesus himself meets Saul, a man who is introduced to us as a violent, active, resourceful persecutor of the early church. So if you missed our discussion last week, I just want to encourage you uh, uh, to go listen to last week's message. And I say that because Saul's conversion is so powerful and so important not only for the rest of the book of Acts, but for the rest of the New Testament as well. We looked at what, what, we looked at, tried to reframe our perspective of the man himself and what he was doing on the road to Damascus. We connected what happened to that prayer from Ezekiel, that traveling prayer that mirrors some, so much of his experience. It was a really powerful kind of way to look at that story. So I encourage you to go listen to that. And part of the reason I say that is because we're going to spend this week and then also next week finishing up the story of this conversion moment with Saul because it's so important. So we left Saul last week while he was still on the ground after his vision of the risen Jesus. This is where we left him last week in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 6. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So that's where we left off last week. So I'm gonna, we're going to pick up the scripture, and we're going to read... Uh, a, a good chunk more of the passage. So hang in with me. This is about 10 verses. It's a bit longer of a passage than we normally read together, but you'll see it on the screen where you can open up your Bibles or open up your devices. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 7. We're going to read all the way through verse 17. I should say, uh, as before I do this, I just want to kind of grip our attention here. Our focus today is going to be on a person in this story that, that we'll see that really shouldn't be in the story. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. So think about that as we read through this. This person that we're going to focus on today really should not be in this story. Here's, the, here's how uh, the rest of this passage goes. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, uh, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hands to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke with him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the, to the house of Judas. Uh, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to, peop- as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a wonderful story, and I know that so many of us are familiar with this, but I just want to make a quick comment about the state in which we find Saul in this passage at the end of his conversion here, because it's very, very important to recognize the difference of the man who's come with authority and power to where he is right now. In fact, one commentator said this, the nature of change is striking. Saul is helpless. He opens his eyes, but he cannot see. He's led to Damascus by the hand and is unable to eat or drink for three days. The one who was so active, going to and fro, seeking letters of permission, pursuing believers all the way to Damascus, has now come become Passive, helpless, like a little child. This is how Saul, the enemy of the church, enters the kingdom of God. Yeah. Wow. The the, the level of transformation is striking, right? The way that the Lord humbled Saul in this moment is striking. And this is how Saul begins his journey in the kingdom of God. Not only is Saul humbled and changed by his moment with Jesus... But he steps into another level of humility when he's helped along in the next stage of his journey by one he once persecuted. He's helped along, by, along the way by one of those pesky disciples of Jesus, a man named Ananias. <laughs> so I'd like to focus on Ananias here for the rest of our time together uh, and his part, the part that he plays in the conversion of Saul. Uh, and a bit like the Magi that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we don't really know much about Ananias. In fact, uh, after his part here in chapter 9, we never actually hear from him again. This is it. We don't know how he became a follower of Jesus, and we just, we, the, only, the only things that we know about him are what we, can, what we find or what we can infer from this passage. And yet everybody knows his name, <laughs> So, we know that he was a believer of Jesus. We know that he knew how to listen to the voice of Jesus. That he was prepared to obey God's direction, even though in this particular moment it was extremely dangerous. We know that uh, he went where he was sent, he did what he was told, and he did it all with grace and wisdom. That's the picture of Ananias that we get in this moment. Now, I made a comment that, uh, uh, that our focus today is about someone who shouldn't even be in the story, and that is true of Ananias. In fact, a number of commentators wonder about why Ananias is still in Damascus. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, we, we, maybe we know that he's there by the leading of the Lord, the direction of God's Spirit. Uh, but uh, many commentators were wondering about this. In fact, one said, it's quite surprising that there were any followers of Jesus left in Damascus by the time that Saul of Tarsus arrived. Word had clearly gotten around that he was on his way. After all, this wasn't, it wasn't every day that the high priest himself gave authority to, the, to a young hothead to go carry out a particular task. In this case, raiding synagogues of far-off towns to sniff out the people who were following this new heresy 
or Jesus. Interesting to think about what it means that Ananias was still in Damascus at the time Saul actually arrived. Maybe what we can infer from that is that there's a little bit of bravery in that. I don't know, maybe he just couldn't hire a donkey or a cart, you know, who knows. Uh, But he was still there, and it's kind of fascinating when you think that it's likely most of the other Christians, or those who were following Jesus, would have likely fled. Ananias and the other followers of Jesus in Damascus must have been terrified when they heard about the coming of Saul. But Ananias bravely was still in Damascus, and he was open to the leading of Jesus. Little did he know that he was about to participate uh, in the next part of the story in a significant way, and that we would be talking about it thousands of years later. So let's look at a little bit of this exchange between Ananias and Jesus. We're going to start in verse 10. We read this earlier, but the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. So I want to pause right here just for a moment because when Ananias says, yes, Lord, it's the same obedient response that we see in the Old Testament from people like Abraham and Samuel, heroes of the faith. When they say, it's, it's the same response as when they say, here I am, use me. So, it, I mean, it's literally the same response from the Old Testament to the New Testament here. This is fantastic, and it would have really meant a lot to the readers, to Luke's readers here. In Genesis 22, verse 1, we, we read this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And in 1 Samuel, another story we may know, this is near the end of this uh, calling experience here from Samuel, from Samuel chapter 3, verse 8. So the Lord called a third time, and once more, Samuel, remember Samuel was a boy at this point, he got up and he went to Eli, the person in the next room, and he said, here I am, did you call me? <laughs> and then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy Samuel. Here I am, Abraham and Samuel. Luke's words would have immediately uh, been recognized by uh, his readers. And they would have given significance to Ananias here in the mind of his readers. It would have provided some weight for how Ananias was received when this was read. Oh, he's like one of those guys, one of our Old Testament heroes. That's the kind of response that Ananias is giving in this moment. Wow. So let's continue. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He was, he's praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. So maybe we can be a little playful with this exchange between Jesus and Ananias. And so Ananias hears this. He's like, okay, hold up, Jesus. (laughs) Can I take back my here I am comment? (laughs) You want me to go where and you want me to to see who? (laughs) No thanks, right? He has already heard about all the things, all that he needs to about this Saul guy from many others concerning what he's already done to the Christian community, already done to the community of the people who follow Jesus. Can it really be that you want me to go see that guy? And the other thing that is kind of interesting to note, Holly and I talked about this uh, earlier this week in our discussion recording. 
which is that Saul wasn't alone. Maybe you think about that. That's how we initially picture this interaction where Ananias goes to some house or some room where Saul is just there sitting in the room. But we know from the conversion story that there were other people with Saul. Other, we don't know who those people were, maybe guards, maybe they were armed, maybe they weren't, but they were also on the task of trying to go and arrest Christians. Scary! (laughs) I don't want to go there, Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, Ananias, don't worry. He's praying right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, and Ananias is like, do you mean another Ananias? Could it be a different one? That'd be great. Uh, Laying hands on him so he can see again. And you can just imagine, okay, that's just great, Jesus. He's praying. All Pharisees pray, Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? About uh, uh, Saul's religious, well, uh, well-rhythmed uh, religious disciplines. All Pharisees pray. All devout Jews pray. That by itself didn't tell Ananias anything except that maybe Saul is stoking up his religious fervor in preparation for more arrests. <laughs> you want me to walk into that? Ah, but Ananias, I've given him a vision about someone named Ananias coming to lay hands on him so that he can see again. Oh, great, Jesus. So you gave him a vision about vision. This is getting good. (laughs) Okay, okay. Maybe we're having a little bit of fun with this here. But we get the point. Ananias is clearly still worried about what he's going to encounter when he goes to meet Saul. You're asking me to go see him. But then Ananias learns something about Saul that we didn't know before. It comes in verse 15 through 16. It says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So what Jesus tells uh, Ananias here is probably a bit of a bombshell for Ananias. Something I'm sure that Ananias and certainly the Christian community thought was just impossible and couldn't happen. This Saul is not simply an enemy or a persecutor of the church any longer. He's been changed into a follower of Jesus and an instrument. And not just any instrument. He is a chosen instrument for Jesus in this moment. The word instrument is used elsewhere in Luke and Acts, and it literally has the meaning of being a container to take with you what you're filled up with. So the conversion of Saul is not simply just so that he will believe in Jesus, but it's also so that he can minister as God's chosen instrument, chosen vessel to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and the rest of the world. Uh, N.T. Wright notes this, that the Lord is calling Saul for a particular task. The time has come for the message about the one true God, the good news of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be told to the wider world, the world of the pagans, the Gentiles, people who know and care even less about this God. And the person to do the task, to spearhead the work of getting the message out to those outside the law must be the one who had been most keen to stamp out this message in, within his generation. Powerful. He goes on to say that when you want to reach the pagan world, the person to do it will be a hardline, fanatical, ultranationalist, super orthodox, Pharisaic Jew. And they say God doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I wonder what Ananias thought after hearing about what Saul's job was supposed to be. What he was 
was going to do for Jesus. For chapter after chapter leading up to this point in the book of Acts, we've been watching the gospel move further away from Jerusalem, further out into the wider world. We said this, further out or uh, closer uh, to the Gentiles, or yeah, further from Jerusalem and closer to us, right? That's what we've been saying as we watch this. And now Saul, with, with this, what's happening with Saul, this is about to take a giant leap forward. And knowing this, Ananias chose faith over fear, and he walked down to Straight Street. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul. That is significant, that he uses the language of brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, he was baptized. <laughs> I kind of, we don't know how he was baptized or with what, what water he was baptized. I kind of, we just had talked about that story of the Ethiopian eunuch on the side of the road after a conversation with Philip just wanted to be baptized in the puddle, <laughs> right? And he was like, I don't know, maybe Saul just, here, grab that, baptized. <laughs> it's pretty significant. Then he got up, he was baptized. After he ate some food, he regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Ananias does as he's told in this moment. Despite these circumstances, it's fearful. He's unsure what's going on. He gets this direction from the Lord, but he does as he's told. He lays hands on Saul. Saul is healed and receives the Holy Spirit. And at this point, Ananias calls Saul a brother, part of the family of God, a welcome, intimate, and familial term. Incredible. Look at the change that has happened in this man's life, in Saul's life. Saul, uh, Ananias gets to play a significant part in this. In this story, Ananias is a model for discipleship for us. And I was moved by the fact that in this story, Ananias is, is, is maybe a model for discipleship in a moment for us. He's a model of discipleship for what it means to follow Jesus. He shows us what it can look like to be led by faith in the midst of fear. He doesn't have the uh, same status in Scripture of people like the apostles or anyone else, but he operates as a messenger of God to Saul, and he's completely obedient in the moment, and it makes all the difference. Last Sunday, I had an opportunity to talk with our youth uh, who were... Uh, we had a few youth over at our house last uh, Sunday evening, which was really fun, but we got an opportunity to talk about how uh, God chose a few ordinary uh, people to be his first disciples, people who had failed in the education system or the, failed in the way to, to uh, increase their status throughout their society, and they go back to their family trades for the rest of their life. That's who Jesus uses. <laughs> Incredible. He chooses, his first disciples are normal, everyday people who are willing to say yes and made a significant impact in the world. The Lord's disciples are not only prominent heroes of the faith, but also ordinary folk like Ananias and like you and me who walk on stage for a particular mission and then exit as the story goes on. Powerful. 
This is such an encouragement to us as we think about living out our calling, uh, the the calling that Jesus has for our lives, even on a day-to-day basis or a moment-by-moment basis. Maybe today Jesus has an Ananias-like moment for you. Are you able to hear the Lord's guidance and direction? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am? No matter where you find yourself today, you, like Ananias, uh, have that option. We also maybe have to say yes to the Lord in the difficulty that we might face, in, in a situation that's unknown, or maybe we're fearful about something. But if you trust Jesus, he just might minister uh, to someone He might use you to minister to someone in a way that could change the trajectory of their life. Maybe on the flip side, you are one who needs to receive that from someone else. Maybe you're facing a crisis. Maybe you're facing something difficult. Maybe there's uncertainty and fear in your own situation. You can know (laughs) that the Lord might send someone your way or a number of someone's Faithful people who have said yes to the Lord to minister to you in a significant way, in a way that you need, and only a way that God can provide. It can be both ways. I'll end with this really wonderful story, a word picture that might help us remember the story and what Ananias is like and be inspired to follow God. Uh, this is uh, from N.T. Wright. I know I've, I've referenced him a lot here uh, in these, uh, in these uh, messages, but Here's a a word picture, a way that we can think of Ananias that might be helpful and, and stick with us. Here's the story. He writes this. As the concert progressed, I watched the different I watched the different players in the orchestra. There at the back sat a man who looked very, very bored. (laughs) In fact, he disappeared for about half an hour at one point. When he came back, he still looked bored. The music was great, but seemed but he seemed to have nothing to do with it. At last, we approached the great climax of the symphony, where we were nearly at the very end. This man got up, took a deep breath, picked up his pair of cymbals. Then, in a great swoop, he gave one almighty crash that topped off the decisive chord and that lifted it beyond anything that had come before it. The symphony ended, and the applause went on and on and on. The conductor, pointing to different players who had made special contributions, came to him at last. And the audience laughed and applauded even more. It's kind of a fun way to think about what Ananias is like in the conversion story of Saul, God's final crash of the symbols that take it far beyond anything that it has been before. Have you realized yet that Jesus has people everywhere? (laughs) And maybe you're one of those people. He is guiding us and orchestrating us all into the story. Jesus speaks into the life of one of his ready disciples, Ananias, with a Holy Spirit assignment. One that might be like the symbol crash at the end of Saul's story, but it's one that can inspire us to a life of faithfulness and obedience and listening to God day by day, even moment by moment as he uses us to minister in the lives of people who are in need, maybe who are hurting, or where God just needs to do something. Clash those symbols, Ananias. How might we do the same? And I'll end here with this worship team. Come on back up. With that in mind, I want us to think about what Ananias is doing in this moment and how God's using him. Brother Saul, 
brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Clash. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, was baptized, and afterward he ate some food, and he regained his strength. That's where we'll pick up the story next week. Let's pray.